Good morning. My name is Tanya Torp, and I am one of the associate pastors here. So glad that you're here with us today on this very rainy, stormy day. Um, also, welcome to my friends online. I will be with you in just a few moments, uh, joining you online in the comments. Wanted to share just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, if you're visiting, thanks for being here. Consider this part of your welcome. You'll be welcomed in person in just a moment, but we are so glad you're here. There is a Connect card uh, inside the pew that you can fill out uh, if you have, if you're new and we want to know a little bit more about you and you want to contact with us or share some space with us. But also, if you have a prayer request, there is a dedicated team of prayer people who love you and pray and keep your prayers confidential. Also, when you came in, you should have received um, an announcement or picked up an announcement sheet. Tells you all the amazing things that we're doing. We do a lot around here. Um, if you uh, are online, I will actually post this, uh, the announcements for you momentarily when I get on. But please uh, partake in the announcements so you can know what's going on. There's so much. Um, and then finally, if you are new or haven't taken advantage of it yet in the cafe, um, if, you, if it's too loud for you in here or you just need a little break with your family, you can go into the cafe and this is streaming. So you can take a break, come back if you need to, whatever you need for you and your family. Um, I want to also turn it over to the worship team as we get ready for, to worship the Lord. Thank you, Tanya. Good morning, everyone. I invite you to stand. Let's join in this call to worship together. Let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us this morning. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day rises to meet the sun, glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thank you. 
when I stumble in the darkness, well, I will call your name by night. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. The universe declares your Strength is gone. You're the 
We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
This world. 
Y'all bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, we are so grateful to be here today and to be able to gather with one another to learn how to love you and learn how to love one another more. God, we pray this morning that we could experience your presence. That we would truly see through all the distraction, all the stress, all the worries, all the troubles. And we could see you, Jesus, right there with us. Walking with us on this journey that we call life. It's often full of joy and often full of sorrow and deep sadness. Lord, we need you so much. We are thankful that you are here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said together, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, now we uh, are going to dismiss our children for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. So if you are a child who's four years old all the way up through fifth grade in elementary school, then you are invited to go to the Wonder Room. If you're a parent who has a child in that range then I encourage you to walk up with them if you've never been up before. Make sure they have the correct forms filled out and you introduce yourself to the teachers. Um, but we are excited for our kids. Let's get, that was kind of like a half-hearted clap. I wasn't quite ready for it. Let's give them a good clap this morning. Continue to have uh, so many wonderful children in our church. Yes. Do I feel okay? I feel just fine. Are you trying to say because I'm getting old, Dan? Yes, I had my 40th birthday a few days ago, just so you all know. Dan, I never, you never cease to amaze me. Always, always got something. Part of Dan, Dan has a job title here. It's just, uh, you know, to give me trouble, you know, during the service. It's great. <laughs> we love you, Dan. We love you. Well, I want to share something with you this morning. We have a, a special announcement from one of our members, but I want to say something before we see it. Um, there... There's like a common thread, and y'all know this if you go to Embrace. Like there is a common thread that goes through the entire New Testament, and it can be summed up with this one verse that we talked about in our First Peter series. First Peter, we read, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. I heard someone once say, to love each other deeply means to love with every muscle strained. And I love that image because love often requires a lot from us, right? Christian? <laughs> I hear you back there. I couldn't tell if that was a supportive well or a not supportive well. <laughs> to love each other deeply uh, means that we stay committed to one another. It is a costly love. I believe it's a love that sometimes makes us uncomfortable, and it's a love that holds on to each other uh, through all the ups and downs of life. And this ethic of love originates in God. We as Christians and, and other faiths believe this as well, that, that ultimately the essence of God is love. We, we believe in the, the Holy Trinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit 
living in this loving relationship, always pouring out for the sake of the other. Jesus articulated this love by his words, but also by the way he lived his life. And today we have an opportunity to show up in love for one of our members who's going through a really significant moment in his life. And uh, we've got a video where uh, this member, Jeremy Hankey, is going to share a little bit of what he's been going through. And, and given, the, given how important it is and how big it is, we, we thought that it would be important uh, for him to share personally with you all. And also, he wants to invite you all to join him on this journey that he's been on. And so, um, we chose to do a video because we felt like this was kind of the safest way for him to share this part of his story. And you'll understand more after he shares. And then after he's done, I'm going to say a few words uh, for you all. And so, let's watch this video, and then I'm going to hop back up in just a minute. Hey Embrace family, my name's Jeremy Hankey. Many of you already know me, but if you don't, my wife and I and my kids, we started coming here about eight years ago. I didn't exactly know what to expect when I came to Embrace. There were connections to my family in different ways and I'd heard really interesting things about it. When I came, I, I got welcomed by three different people who were all connected to different parts of my family. And then after I'd been here for a few months, I started to go to the gathering on Monday nights. And I came as close to heaven as I think I've been on this world. And um, I saw diverse people who should have no business being in a room together, setting down their differences over this God-man, Jesus Christ. And it's changed how I see the world. I have never been more proud to be a member of a congregation than I've been being at Embrace. My father was a United Methodist minister, and he looked for the type of church that I believe that this church is for his entire life, and he never found it. One thing that I wanted to share about in my own life that's going on from the time I was a child, I've had a thing called gender dysphoria. It's where you see the world from the different perspective, the different gender perspective to that which you were born. I was assigned male at birth, but I've always seen the world from a female perspective. And I thought that that was wrong. I spent most of my life trying to be a man, trying to be what society told me I was supposed to be, what my family told me I was supposed to be. And the more I did it, the more depressed and sad I became. Over the last 18 months, I've gone through intensive therapy and spent a lot of time in prayer, trying to find where the next stage for me to go is. And I feel as though God is leading me on a very difficult path, the path of transition. Transitioning from living as a man to living as a woman. After July 1st, I will begin living as a woman. My name will be Megan Hankey. I'd love it if you'd refer to me by that. Don't worry if you're bad with names, so am I. That's why I'm going to make sure I wear a name badge as much as possible. If you can refer to me by she or her, 
and you use pronouns, that would be awesome. I know some of you are wondering, well, what am I going to look like? How am I going to change? And the weird thing is, even though this is very important to how I see the world, a lot won't appear to change from the outside. My hair, some of the clothes I wear, makeup, my voice eventually will change. But who I am on the inside and what shines forth will be the same person that I've been for the last eight years here. With that said, I did include a preview image so you could see what I'll be looking like after the beginning of July. Thanks in advance for your support. I really appreciate it. More than you know. So first, I just want to thank Jeremy for his courage. It takes a lot of courage to like share these parts of your life and your story. And I'm very grateful that Jeremy has invited us to walk with him on this next season of his life. Season for Jeremy and his family that I'm sure is both exciting but also brings significant challenges for them and their future. And, and I want to secondly just thank you all for being an awesome church. You know, Jeremy said something in, in his testimony there that embraces the closest thing to heaven that he's ever seen on earth. And the fact that Jeremy is sharing this with us, I think is a testament to what he thinks about our community. Um, because he trusts enough, trust us enough to invite us in, even in this moment in history. And this is one reason we're making a bigger deal out of this is because trans people have been targeted and harassed and vilified and demonized by so, so many in our culture right now. And it's just abhorrent, and I know it breaks Jesus' heart. Churches, I believe, ought to be the safest and most loving places for vulnerable people in our world. <laughs> but sadly, they often aren't. Um, as you know, our church has been going through a discerning process. We've been discerning for quite some time now of how we can best love and include our LGBTQ siblings in our community. And, and y'all see this. This is not a theoretical conversation. Like, this involves uh, real people, real life. When Jeremy and Carrie first shared this news uh, with us just about three months ago, our leadership was struck again by the important work, this ongoing discernment that we're doing, it, that we're in this process still, but we also have an immediate need now to care for real people. Jeremy included, and others besides Jeremy who choose to follow Jesus with us here at Embrace. And so in our discernment process, we're not just developing theology or policies or stances, but we are prayerfully considering how to actually love and support people who have been historically left out and told that they are not welcome in Christian spaces. Almost every church you encounter, either they'll have a sign or they'll say it. They'll say, all are welcome. But tragically, that is rarely the case. There are usually stipulations on how far that welcome will extend. While we continue discerning and learning together as a community, not currently having all the answers, uh, we're still at the same time committed to walking in love and offering support to Jeremy and Carrie and their family. You know, I understand that Christians and people in our broader society um, are still discerning their thoughts and views and feelings about gender identity, about transitioning, and all the related issues. And I know in this room there is a diversity of opinions and perspectives. And that is okay to have a diversity of opinions and perspectives. Jeremy has communicated himself that he does not expect or need everyone to agree with his decision to transition to living as a woman. However, I believe that we all need to be unified in our love, acceptance, and support 
of Jeremy as he transitions to Megan in the upcoming days. And our job is not to judge. We get that wrong a lot as Christians. Um, That's God's job to judge. Our job is to love. Billy Graham even once said, God's job is to judge. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. And our job is to love. And so I think regardless of your beliefs about being transgender, about gender-affirming care, about what the Bible teaches on this stuff, you can still love your sibling in Christ who is also loved and accepted by God. Carrie, uh, Jeremy's wife, Carrie, if you'll wave, she's got purple hair. She's hard to miss. Uh, She's in the back. If you can wave to Carrie, she's here this morning. Um, Carrie, along with her kids, um, they're all supportive and committed to Jeremy in this new season, and they wanted you all to know that. And Carrie is here this morning because she wants to, she's happy to talk to you all if you want to talk. Um, You know, you can, I would ask you, and I'm just say more about that in a moment, but like if you, you if y'all know the Hankies, you know that they're like an open book, and they'll talk about anything and everything, and, and they are, uh, I've never met anybody like them in my entire life, and that, that is a compliment. Um, but I think particularly in these early days for them, um, I, I encourage you, and I'm asking you to not ask them questions, uh, too many like questions about all this stuff. Uh, you know, this is not your time to share your opinions or views with them. This is not your time to ask them to explain what the Bible says about all this or to you gum with your Bible and point out scriptures. That's never helpful. But if you want to communicate love and support, like, that is the, the best possible thing you can do to anybody who's going through a significant moment in life. Just communicate that you love them and that you support them and you're going to walk with them on this journey. Jeremy has decided to step back a little bit from some of his responsibilities for a while to focus on his own health and healing, but you're still going to see Jeremy at church um, and uh, on a regular basis. And the plan is when you see Jeremy again, um, we wanted to, to talk about this ahead of time so that everybody has time to think and process and be ready for this. But when you see Jeremy again, he's going to have a new name, different appearance. And along with Jeremy, I'm asking you, just, regardless of what you think, just res- show respect and respect that desire for Jeremy to go by Megan. This will be a significant change, and Jeremy understands, like he said in the video, if you make mistakes, just apologize and correct yourself. I make mistakes all the time on so many things, and we're going to continue to. My prayer for Jeremy and his family is they, they truly find wholeness and peace, and that's what I want for every single one of you in this church. And, and I don't know exactly what you need to find that wholeness and peace, and neither do you know that for your neighbor. And our job is to love and support one another and help to be Christ to each other as we live this difficult life we're living. And I'm so grateful that Jeremy's been digging in and going through therapy and doing these things to get to the place that he is today. Um, And so I hope that they find wholeness and peace and feel the love of God and and really experience the love of God through the love of this congregation. This is a really important moment for our church. And this is the the first among many moments that we're going to have to show up for each other in significant ways as we all face big things in our lives. And so my, my hope for you all and my challenge for you all is just to love it as best as you can and let this be a moment for you to grow and to change. Um, and, and I know a lot of this is new in church. This is uncomfortable for some people. But I, I find that one of our values at the church is we are comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so uh, we've been trying to live into this as much as we can Um, over the last many years. So let's be like Jesus, and let's show some love to our sibling in Christ.
Absolutely. That speaks to the trust and love that, that their family has for us. So Carrie will be around after church, and I'm, I know she would love to, to talk with you all if you would like or just to get a hug. And um, if you don't know what to say, just give them a hug and say I love you. Um, that's the best thing to do. So I'm going to kneel at the altar. We're just going to have a short time of prayer and close with the Lord's Prayer. Encourage you all just to take a moment, you know, and breathe and, and ask Jesus to meet you in this space. If anybody wants to join me at the altar, and I would love, love for you to do so. God, we come to you this morning, all of us travelers on a journey of life, seeking to find wholeness and peace in you, trying to find you in the midst of our, our struggles and our questions and our doubts, trying to find you in the midst of suffering and pain, seeking to celebrate with you in our joys and successes. We come to you grateful that you have been with us on the journey and also that we're not walking this journey alone. And I pray this morning could be a reminder for each of us that we don't walk alone. That we are traveling on this road together with a common mission and purpose to spread your light and love in this world. And, and that we have each other on this journey. And we are all different. We all come from different places. We all have different experiences that have brought us here. And Lord, you accept us and your embrace is wide enough to hold every single one of us. And God, we're trying to have an embrace that wide at our church, and I know we aren't quite there yet, and we have so much work to do. But God, I just pray that we could continue to seek to love as you love, to love one another as you love us, and to see each other first and foremost as a child of God who is desperately loved by you. And God, I pray this morning that we could feel that love that we could feel that love and that security and that foundation that we have in you, Jesus. That we could rest on the assurance that your death and resurrection and your Holy Spirit are the foundation that we build our lives upon. And that that is not shaky ground. And I pray we would hold tightly to that, Lord. Hold tightly to that truth that you love us so much. That you were willing even to give your life for us. And God, help us to accept that calling to lay down our lives for one another in the ways, God, that we can in our day-to-day -day lives in this world, this messy world in which we're living in. God, thank you for uh, just continuing, Lord, to help us to become better people. Continue to become people who are, who are holy, who are so full of love for you and one another. That we continue to look more and more like you. So, God, I pray we would lean into that, um, 
even as we're walking difficult roads. God, there's so much going on right now. There's so much suffering and loss and violence and pain all around us, Lord. And we feel so uneasy and we feel easily shaken. Often we feel lonely and we feel like we have no one. And God, I pray this morning none of us would leave here feeling that way. But we'd look around and see the faces of everyone in this room and we would also see your face clearly. And that we would leave here just feeling closer to you and looking more like Jesus. Continue to guide us in the rest of our time together and we pray that the words that we study from Romans would impact us and continue to help inspire and lead us as we travel this road together in the, in the beautiful but uncertain days ahead. And now we join together and we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah, we still got a sermon. I've kind of already preached to y'all this morning, but uh, I'm going to do it again. And I'll tell you, all this stuff is connected, man. Like, <laughs> all this stuff, us trying to live together in community and love one another, this is what the scriptures are about. This is what the New Testament is about. It's teaching us to, to really live and press in to, and, and become more like Jesus. We're going to continue on in this series we've been in, in the book of Romans, and uh I'm excited. We're, remember, we're reading Romans backwards, and so we did Romans 16, and now we're going to look at Romans 14 and 15 this morning. If we're going to understand Romans, though, we need to understand Paul's heart. Paul was the one who wrote Romans, and I think if we're going to understand why Paul did what he did and said what he said, we need to understand his heart, his mission. In order to understand why I preach the things I do, you've got to understand my calling and the mission and what God's placed upon my heart and my life. Same goes for my brother Benjamin. All we got a sermon to preach. If you know his heart, you'll understand why he does what he does. Same for Christina and for Tanya and for others in our church that share. And so when we think about Paul, like why did Paul talk about the things he did? Why did Paul do what he did? Why did Paul like engage in this conversation with the Romans? What did he believe God had called him to do? Well, Paul had a lofty goal with his life. His basic mission was to go and establish Diverse churches in the Roman Empire made up of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free, adults and children, rich and poor, and everybody in between. Paul truly believed that the gospel obliterated the boundaries and hierarchies that separate us. A classic quote from Paul that many of you have probably heard, Galatians 3, 26-28. He says, so in Christ Jesus... We are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed, has closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. From my understanding of Paul's life, it appears that Paul believed this deep down. And he gave his life literally, to establish communities of faith that brought together diverse peoples as one 
in Christ Jesus. As you can imagine, Paul's mission was easier to talk about than to actually achieve. Establish diverse churches. That's a lofty goal, right? It's easier said than done. I'm confident that every church that Paul helped start faced conflict. And one conflict in particular that kept arising over and over again was this conflict between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. Now, when I say Jewish Christians, I'm talking about ethnic Jews or Jewish converts, people who followed the Torah, which is what we call the Jewish law. They observed the Sabbath. They observed the holy days. They practiced circumcision. And they followed those strict dietary laws, yet they also at the same time followed Jesus. When I talk about Gentile Christians, I'm basically referring to all the other folks that decided to give their lives to Jesus and follow in his way, but were not Jewish. They would have come from other ethnic groups, they would have had other religious practices, and they would not have followed the Torah. But they were all seeking to follow Jesus. When many of the Jews started following Jesus, they didn't often stop going to the synagogue. They kept practicing the laws that they had in their book, and they kept doing these things. And so these two groups, these Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, they had a whole lot of conflict with each other as they tried to live in Christian community together. And much of the content of Paul's letters, Romans included, is to help these groups find common ground with each other and learn to live together and support each other and work together around common mission and purpose in our world. This was Paul's mission, to bring together people, a diverse people, around a common purpose of sharing Christ with the world. Paul was smart, though. He knew that he couldn't just tell two groups that were so different to just get along with each other. I don't know if y'all ever try to do that with your kids. Or just get along. It's like not that easy, right? You got you to gotta have strategy. You've got to talk to them about the importance of it. You've got to get down to conversations of values and beliefs about who we are. So Paul needed to provide reasons that these two groups should come together as one. He needed to help both of these groups. And everybody see that God's original plan from the start was to bring all people together under the lordship of Jesus. That's what so much of the theology in Romans is all about, helping these two groups figure out how they're going to live together in love. And this, I believe, is why Paul wrote the letters of Rome, letter of Romans. It seems that there were some serious tensions between some factions within these house churches in Rome. You see evidence of these tensions and conflicts all throughout the letter of Romans. I want to remind you of an important event that happened before the letter of Romans was written. In A.D. 49, the emperor at the time, Claudius, issued an edict that expelled Jews from Rome. They were forced to live as refugees in a foreign land for a period of time. They were away from Rome for probably around five years. During that time, the churches in Rome switched from being largely Jewish Christians to now mostly Gentile Christians. So while the Jewish Christians were gone, the Gentile Christians naturally would have to figure out how are we going to lead these churches? What homes are we going to meet in? And so the leadership was turned over to them. Now when Claudius died, the Jews were invited to come back by the emperor who came after him. And so many of these Jewish Christians returned back to their house churches, these places that they had left. Now imagine when they showed back up, these churches didn't look the same, did they? 
They were now led by largely Gentile Christians. And these Gentile Christians likely didn't know the Jewish scriptures very well, if at all. They ate non-kosher foods, and they lived lives that looked very different from the Jews. Also, these returning Jews likely had very little resources and were in a pretty tough spot. And so naturally, conflicts emerged from this reality. The returning Jewish Christians and the remaining Gentile Christians had to learn to live together in unity. Now in Rome, it seems that there were conflicts around two main issues, food and Sabbath. Now I want to focus specifically on food today. It's not just because I like food, but food was important then and it's important now. The Jewish people had very strict dietary laws that determined what they could eat and what they could not eat. And many Jews today still abide by many of these laws. The Jews would only eat certain types of food that was prepared in very specific ways. And Jews were often ridiculed and viewed with suspicion because of these dietary restrictions. We have people today that we look at and view with suspicion and we ridicule because they are different than the norm. The Jews were viewed that way in the Roman Empire everywhere they went. In Rome, it would have been very difficult for a Jewish family to follow their dietary laws. They would have had a really hard time doing it, particularly when it came to eating meat. Because Jews did not eat pork, yet in the capital city of Rome, pork was the most common meat that was eaten. And so they would have a hard time just finding other meats to eat. If they showed up to somebody's home for dinner, good chance there's going to be pork on the table. Also, they're certainly not going to eat any animal meat that's been involved in any kind of sacrifice to the Roman gods, which was often a common practice in Rome. And so some Jewish Christians decided, we're not going to eat any meat at all. We're just going to eat vegetables and herbs, and that's it, because we're not going to risk um, eating something that goes against what we believe and what's important to us. And because they knew it would be too hard to determine whether this food was kosher or not. And so let's imagine a Jewish family returning to Rome, a Jewish Christian family, after living as refugees for multiple years in another place. They go and they connect to the local house church in their neighborhood. The Christians in the early church, they would always eat together. That was a common practice. Everywhere, every time they met, they would share the Lord's Supper. But sharing the Lord's Supper also meant that they would share a full meal together. Sharing meals brought people together like it does today. We eat a meal every week at the gathering. It brings us together better than probably anything else could. We're having to pass over the, can you pass the bread? We're having to share with one another. We also make sure nobody is left out and has enough food and no one's hungry. So imagine a Jewish Christian family showing up to a Gentile home for the church service. They're going to worship and pray and they're going to share food together. They see on the table a spread of all types of food, some of it clearly not kosher, and they wouldn't know if the rest of it was. What do they do? For a Jewish Christian who followed the Torah, they would have to politely turn down the food of their host. Perhaps this family was even hungry because they were poor and they didn't have a lot of food, and they went to the church hoping they're going to get fed, and they see that all the food's there, but they can't eat any of it. That's going to be a hard situation for them, right? I wonder how they would feel. Disappointed? Maybe confused, maybe offended, maybe appalled at what's happened to their church since they've been away. What has happened to this place? Look what they're doing. 
Now, let's imagine how the Gentile Christians might have felt. They prepared all this food for their guest in their home, and their guest refused to eat it, even though they clearly are hungry. Like, you're not going to eat my food? What's up with that? Perhaps they thought the Jewish Christians were ungrateful, odd, petty, misguided. Have you invited someone over to your home and, and to eat, and they wouldn't eat your food? That didn't happen often, but I had a guy show up at my house once, and he had gone to Burger King on his way over, and, and he ate his Burger King as we're preparing the food. I'm like, dude, what are you, you going to eat Burger King? Like, it's weird, man. I made food for you, you know? It doesn't feel good. Like, that's rejection that nobody likes to receive. The Jewish Christians believed their scriptures taught them to only eat certain foods prepared in very specific ways. Some of them were looking upon the Gentiles in judgment, assuming they were not as committed to the Bible as them and that they were less holy or less committed to following God. The Gentile Christians believed the gospel gave them freedom to eat whatever they wanted, and it seems that some of them were doing just that, eating whatever they wanted at their communal meals, which meant that the Jewish Christians were excluded and not welcome at the table. And so you can see how these strong convictions from each side resulted in both groups having conflict. And what ultimately happened, and this is really the, the deepest part of it, it hindered them from being in community together. If they couldn't eat together, how can they be the family of God? If a family can't share a meal around a table, are they really a family, right? This was much deeper. This was much deeper than just food preference. This was something that had the potential to divide and destroy the early church. And what was Paul's mission? To bring people together. And so in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans, Paul spends a lot of words addressing the conflict between these two groups. And he uses the term weak and strong to refer to these two groups. Now, my belief, and people debate this, but I believe that the terms weak and strong refer to actual groups within these house churches in Rome. And specifically, the weak were predominantly Jewish Christians, and the strong are predominantly Gentile Christians. I'm going to read a section of it so you'll see what I'm talking about. And when you see weak, think of this predominantly Jewish Christian group. When you see strong, Think of the predominantly Gentile group. And it doesn't actually mention strong, but he's speaking to the strong folks in this verse, or these verses. So to the strong ones, he says, accept the faith, the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So in these verses, Paul speaks directly to the strong or the Gentile Christians. And he told them to accept the weak and stop fighting over disputable matters. And he goes on to tell both groups to stop judging each other, which he repeats many times in the rest of the chapter. And as you read through chapters 14 and 15, I encourage you to do it. You're going to notice that the basic direction from Paul is that both groups stop judging each other and respect each other's convictions. And here's the pretty interesting thing. In, in Romans, Paul does not expect everybody to be on the same page. 
He understands that people are going to disagree over these convictions, which were actually pretty important. We talk about whether you eat this type of food. This was deep stuff for these folks. So he doesn't expect everyone to be on the same page, but Paul does expect everyone to be loving and accepting of each other. Two verses sum up Paul's instructions to these Christians in Rome. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So he said, let's make every effort to do what is going to lead to peace. The shalom is the Hebrew word. And to mutual building up of one another. Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another, therefore just as Christ welcomed you. For the glory of God. It's important to point out that in these verses, most of Paul's instruction is directed to who he calls the strong. Now, I need to point out that the Greek for the word strong is better translated as powerful. And this is agreed upon by a lot of folks, yet for some reason the translators continue to put weak and strong. The common English Bible, I believe, gets it right. Paul says in Romans 15, we who are powerful need to be patient with the weakness of those who do not have power and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for the good in order to build them up. I think using terms like powerful and those without power makes sense when we understand the context. The Gentile Christians would have had more power and privilege and status than the Jews would have in Rome. The Jews were recently exiled. They were often misunderstood and persecuted and viewed with suspicion. The Gentile Christians, many of them would have had more status and power in that world. And Paul challenges the ones with the more privilege and the more power to use their power and privilege to build up and to welcome and to bring peace and unity and work for equality. The people in those house churches with privilege and power are asked by Paul to make sacrifices and really make more sacrifices and strive hard to welcome and include those with less power. And he even asked them to change their practices and eating habits to make sure that the Jewish Christians felt comfortable and were welcome at the table when they shared their meals together. So he said, hey, when they're coming, what's food to you? Like, what, You eat pork with them, yet you're also damaging a relationship and causing harm to another person. And so he's calling those with that privilege to make that sacrifice and to not eat the pork when those folks are around. And I think this is very relevant for us today. I wonder what sacrifices we need to make in community here at Embrace so that we can ensure that folks are included and that everybody kind of feels like they can be welcome here and have a a church that is going to be safer for them and a place where they can fully just live out their faith and try to seek after God. I want you to hear Scott McKnight's words about this. He says, Paul's biggest and best question for the strong as well for the weak as this one. With whom did you dine last night? And he'll press it further. Are the strong dining with the weak or not? Yes or no? And McKnight argues that that's the question, and the whole book of Romans rides on that question as the heart of lived theology. Who is welcome at your table? What sacrifices ought we make it embrace to include others in our community? How big is our table? 
You know, we talk about the Lord's table here, and I believe the Lord got a big old table. <laughs> Heard someone say that, you know, we have this idea of a big tent whereby you can fit under the tent. And she was like, I prefer the image of a big table, you know, because big tents, often you see people kind of on the outside. A table, it's like you're going you're gonna to just squish in as much as you can. You can scoot over, share chairs if you need to. But there's, if we all have a big table, uh, there was a song saying at Valentina Liz's wedding called The Crowded Table. I want to have a crowded table where everybody has a place around that table. And that's ultimately a vision that I want us to hold on to. And I think this is a vision that Paul is casting in Romans. He's casting a vision for a table big enough and welcoming enough where everybody who shows up can have a seat. Can our table seat more people? Or is it only going to include certain types of folks that we feel comfortable being around? Or people who are like us or think like us or look like us or come from the same places as we do? And we got to think about what we got to do, just like Paul was challenging those in Romans. What we got to do to make sure that people feel that love and welcome that Christ is wanting to offer them. Paul also talks about we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And some folks may not ever feel and know Christ's love because we have not shown it to them. And a divided body is going to have a hard time showing love, right? Because if the hand's over here doing one thing, the foot's leading you in another direction, you're in trouble, right? That's going to be confusing. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to move in the same direction together. So let me read Romans 15:7 one more time, for it might be the best summary, I think, of Paul's hope for the Roman churches. He says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion this morning. And I love that we share communion every week because it, it truly is a unifying practice for us. We come forward and we share from a shared loaf and a shared cup. I love that idea that we're sharing it. It's, all, it's, the, it's the same Jesus, right? We're all coming forward because Jesus is there for us and loves each and every one of us. And every one of us who comes down this aisle, no one is any better than anybody else. And we all come in need of Jesus' love and grace in our lives. And we all recognize, and hopefully you're reminded every week, that not only did Jesus die for you, but Jesus died to the person next to you. Jesus died for the person outside the church that wants nothing to do with our faith. Jesus died even for your enemy who's seeking to destroy you. And that's a radical idea to think about, and it's hard for us to accept. But every week we come forward, hopefully we're reminded that Jesus loves not just us, but he loves our neighbor. And that he came for each and every one of us. And what I want as a Christian in this world, what I'm seeking to do is just be a person that's full of love for everybody. And what Jesus has called me to is to, to really prioritize. And, and what Jesus did, he placed those that we often have outcasted or marginalized or pushed to the side. You know what Jesus did? He went out to the margins. People are marginalized not because they want to be. People are marginalized because society likes to push people away. And Jesus went out to the margins. He went to the towns of Nazareth and Galilee, up in Galilee, the country folk that the people in the city didn't want anything to do with. Jesus went to Samaria that all the Jews would walk around and avoid because they didn't even want to walk through it, many of them. Jesus would go to the slums. He would go out to the poor homes. He would go to the places where the people are, are different and viewed in, in suspicious ways. And Jesus would share. You know what he did with all of them? He would always sit around and share meals with them. 
the time Jesus called this guy named Levi to be a follower of him, and Levi threw a party. And as he's throwing the party, Jesus is there celebrating, and people on the outside are looking in and saying, what's he doing with these people? He shouldn't be with them. But that's what Jesus did. He took the ones that we've pushed aside, and he said, no, they're actually at the center. They're the, they're the most important in the kingdom of God, and we let everything flow from there. And so that's what we're trying to do as a congregation. That's what I'm trying to do as a pastor is allow that to be my starting point because I believe that's what Jesus did. And if you, you doubt that, look at your own life. Jesus, when you, when you felt like you were lost, what did Jesus do? He went and found you. He didn't wait for you to come to him. He went and found you. He pursued you. And he said, now you got a place at my table. And I'm going to share a meal with you. I'm going to love you. And you're going to be a part of my crew. You're going to be a part of my family. And each and every one of us who have given our lives to Jesus have been adopted into Jesus' family. And we get to share meals with him. And Jesus, you talk about someone making a sacrifice. Jesus, the almighty God, came down and walked among us and gave up everything so that we might be able to find life. And we ought to try just to be a dim reflection of that kind of love, at least uh, in, in our day-to-day lives when we live together with one another. So if y'all would bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, we pray this morning that you would light a fire within us. That you would light a fire within us, a fire that burns for love for one another. A fire that burns for the way of Jesus. pray this morning that we would be people that that truly are a reflection of your goodness in this world. That when people look at us, maybe they'll see a little bit of Jesus in us. God, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you that, that even though we don't deserve anything, even on our best days, we're still not that great. You love us and you see us as people that you want to be in relationship with. Not only that, you, you actually want to be bonded to us for eternity. And I don't understand that, Lord. That's a, a love that I, I can't fathom and comprehend. Lord, I pray that we could all just choose to rest in that love this morning. And just trust that you have that kind of love for us. And that building upon that foundation is, is a good place to start. We pray that as we share this bread and juice that, that, God, it would be for us the body and blood of Christ that we would have encountered with you maybe we've not had before, that we would experience the side of you that maybe we've never experienced. And that also, God, we would be knitted and bonded together to one another as we come forward and share this meal on this common loaf and this cup. Lord, we, uh, we just love you and, and we need you in our lives. And we need you to show up and to act and to move and to bring peace and love and justice in this world. And help our congregation to continue to be that and to continue to move in that direction and not be afraid to take risk as we move into the future together. Lord, we love you so much. Pray you would meet us here in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I'm going to need some help with communion. I think I have one server lined up this morning, uh, so I'll need a couple more at least. So if uh, a couple of our folks who know how to do it could come on up, that would be great. I see Dan and Rob, Laura's coming up too. We're, we're good to go. Benjamin, you're going to help? All right. That's good. I, I can just be up here to pray with folks. So in Embrace, we take communion by Yoda's form, two lines down the center aisle. Your server will rip off a bread, piece of bread and dip it for you and then hand it to you. We do have gluten-free option. I'll have that up front. Just let your server know. If you prefer to take communion in the back with the prepackaged elements, no, no worries at all. You're welcome to do that. But everybody's welcome to come this morning. If you want to know Jesus more, then you're invited to join us at this table. So uh, come whenever you feel led.
Thank you all for being here this morning. My prayers that felt God's spirit in some way and that you leave here feeling closer to Jesus and to each other. And so um, if y'all prepare your hearts for the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time. <laughs>